0: that discusses storytelling from all angles to help you and us answer the call when the muse screams, tell the damn story. We'll be exploring the challenges of being creative in fiction,
1: illustration, comics, film, and nonfiction. And now for part two of our interview with actor and producer Dave LaRosa. I have a question for you. I, I yeah. know Chris had one before, and mine's just... A- you mentioned the couple of films that you did and and you guys have been sort of old buddying on clandestine you know and which was you know was fun and good and all that how do you choose the material how do you choose what you're going to work on
2: how do you how do you know yeah this is it this is the thing i want to do um well funding um you you have to say i mean we have my wife and i co-wrote a uh suspense horror thriller um that could just expand out into books and all kinds of things uh and really develop a world um of of you know monsters and you know otherworldly things. Um but when we we cost it out or got a budget, it's it's like a two million dollar budget for the first part. Part two is probably going to be a six million because there's a lot of you know take a lot of it takes place in the early, uh, early 1900s and then we flash go back and forth kind of godfather 2 style um and um oh chris you were you did the one of the re- you did the readings yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um That's so yeah yeah and um i would love to do that but you know i can't get two million dollars to do the first one right now um I gave the, uh, the script to the distributors of clandestine for them to read and to see if they want to fund it. And I'm waiting for an answer on that. Um, but a lot of times it's kind of like, well, you know, what can we do when we had Phoenix films? Um, we only wrote things that we knew we could, we could do. So it became these, it was character studies. It was, Mm. um, dealer, which was about Kate wrote that. She wrote Clandestine also, um, but it was about, you know, a girl who falls in love with a drug dealer, uh, her roommate's drug dealer. And uh, during the financial collapse of 2008, and just, it's about people. Um, I wrote Nicky Newark, which is about a parole officer that wants to be an actor, which is what we're gonna be remaking, reimagining. That's the next film. Um, And that was like, well, we have access to these locations. We're not blowing up a building there's no mountain fights there's no lightsaber duels on a ship, you know um, it's stuff that you can you know you can do you say to yourself with Descent one and two, I said i'm going to write this as if we have all the money that we want. Um, I'm not going to curtail what we can do so there's a lot, I mean there's a a chase over rooftops in the 1900s during. um, Uh, They're in Cleveland during the the torso murderer that was going on in those days with Elliot Ness as the uh, public safety director and everything. Mm. Um, There's a lot of stuff, you know, that's, it's a very, just kind of what's going on underneath this conflict between these two characters at that one moment. Um, So I think it's good to have your dream scripts that you say, if, Martin Scorsese sees clandestine and says, hey, Dave, you know, what do you got going on? I wonder, you know, I want to make a movie out there. You know, you, you you go, well, I got this, let's do this, you know. Um, But in the meantime, realistically, what can you make right now? What do you, what are the resources you have access to? Mm. So at the time that we made clandestine in 13, we had, we had been building up towards that for about uh, four years, four or five years. So we had been accumulating our our resources, um, you know? And then, um, I mean, as simple as I saved all of the soot from my fireplace, because I knew we were gonna need to have a burned out room, uh, which we filmed under my deck and made it look like a basement. And we just got a black scrim from that same theater Chris and I used to be members of and put that around the edges. Um, And then I I put the soot all over the place, (laughs) you know, make it look like it had been a fire. So um you know you you do that you gather your resources uh and you look at what what's a script that we can realistically make what's a script that's like a dream um and you make you have to make your decisions on that I mean I've I've known people over the years who had really nice ideas but it was you know one guy he had a uh, he was from Africa he'd come over here he played Matumbo in this end up um, and he had this idea of this um, story about a guy who was in a, a particular war in Africa, who then came over to America, was trying to get his foot in to things, just into life and was working as a dishwasher. And nobody there knew about this life that he had led. And I, when I, when I he was telling me about it, I'm like, oh, so you're just going to have him reference the war? He's like, oh, no, I want the war in it. And I'm like, well, what kind of budget you're looking at? He goes, I don't know. And he goes, but you know, it shouldn't be more than such and such. And I'm like, oh, I think it's going to be a bit more than that. And you got yeah. body parts flying off, <laughs> you know, um, there's going to be some more money. So, um, I think you have to be realistic. It's tough, you know, because being creative is not necessarily being realistic. Um, right. my acting, my acting teacher, who's really kind of like, well, he's not my acting teacher anymore, but he was my mentor. I took classes with him in the late nineties and early two thousands. He called it, um, entertaining realism which I've kind of taken as, as my thing which is that you you create things that are realistic but entertaining um so that they're still engaging and people still get something out of them um and I think everybody kind of uh you know is there is this uh, did you, you guys see back in the 90s Con Air yeah, which I was, know,
1: love it I I think it, geez, jeez my yeah yeah I did yeah I had to think Nicholas, about that from, with Nicolas Nicholas Cage, Cage. Yeah. yeah right and Steve yeah. Buscemi right yeah and yep. the, the yeah yeah the plane yeah
2: yep it is it is it is it took the enjoyment that The Rock was and just kind of said hey you know we could pump this thing up let's put it up to like a level 28. um and I remember watching the movie and laughing at the end I went to the movie theaters with a guy I used to work with who wanted to be a film a director And there's a scene at the end where it's just such pure chaos. The plane lands in Vegas. They're on a fire truck. And it's just like shit's blowing up and things are flying all over the place. And John Cusack at one point gets punched off the fire truck and he flies off the fire truck. The fire truck's going like 65 miles per hour. He lands on a car, bounces off of it, lands on the ground and just gets up and i just started laughing (laughs) because i said dude you just dislo you just popped a bunch of discs there's no way you just get up and look at the fire truck going and it was such absurdity that it broke that entertaining realism you know and and as soon as you betray that Mm. you're you you're done you lost you lost the audience you lost your 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 vision or your goal unless that's what you're trying to make um but it's um, yeah, I went off on a tangent, but it's that's I think that you just have to kind of know what can you make, um, what's realistic, and then you you go for it.
1: Well, I'll I'll bring it back, but I'll go back into my time machine because I know Chris loves when I do that. But I'll make it very short. <laughs> Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a guy who in his early twenties, what did he have? He had a a a a Bolex camera, I think it was, and he had some friends in bikinis, and and sand in California. Yeah. And paper mache, lots of paper mache. So he makes, you know, a sci fi film about giant radioactive crabs. And all mm-hmm. you see is this claw, you know. But I mean, what are we going to look? We're going to look at the babes in the bikinis, the guys in the swimming shorts, and this, you know, this paper mache claw will roll a whole kind of plot, you know, beach party bingo kind of plot. And eventually it'll come to an end. And then what do I do with that? Well, it cost me like $2,000 to make the whole movie. I'll sell it or distribute it. To the drive-ins, which I think he made off of the first film, or something like something like close to fifteen thousand. And mm-hmm. then instead of taking the fifteen thousand and making his next movie, he made another movie for two thousand. Mm-hmm. And, and he did that several times over, building up his his war chest, if you will, but always yeah. keeping the budget low and looking at what do I have to work with now. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's very much you know talking about. And as we talked about Rodriguez and Carpenter and, and others of that, that, that sort of history coming forward, what do I have to work with? What kind of story am I trying to tell? And how do I make it unique to me? Yeah. What do yeah. I do? What's your voice? Know, yeah. The, one thing, in voice? the, yeah, the yep. thing in Assault on Precinct 13, the one scene that stands out to me in that whole film
3: mm-hmm. is
1: the, the sh- when they first open up that barrage of bullets hitting the, 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 the precinct and they're all on silences. Mm. And so instead of hearing this cacophony of, you know, gunfire and all that, like it would normally be, it's yeah. just things smashing and breaking and popping all around. And you don't really know where it's coming from. And it just keeps building and building. And I thought, oh, that's cool. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. scary.
2: Because yeah.
1: death is all around you and you can't hear it coming.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's, that's where you take something of yourself. I don't, you know, I haven't made enough films at this point to, to say if I have a certain technique thing that I like to do, but I think you at least have moments in a film where you go, yeah, that's, that's me. I put that in there. That was, that's kind of like my thing that I like to do. And, um, and I think it's I, not. I think it is important to know what your um, what part of yourself you're trying to put into a story or into a scene or a moment. There's this great scene in *Clandestine* right before. There's this fight scene. there's all hell kind of breaks loose, um, and Chris's character, the the you know veteran who's the seen older,
0: it, the older sergeant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> still going on that it's been nine years I love it. I love uh, it. <laughs> so that was character was described um chris was not that but i, he, teased, well, I
0: am now uh, i teased <laughs> kate about that mercilessly so that's why i brought
2: it up but um he uh he hasn't really been phased by much throughout the events um this small town is kind of like mayberry now realizes it has a meth problem and it's like, oh shit, you know, and Alex, you said you saw the movie. I forgot you said that. So, um, so it's, it's Chris has this moment where he's talking to the lead Cooper, who, uh, was played by Nick DiMatteo did, I thought, a beautiful job. Mm -hmm. Um, and Cooper is always kind. And this is something that I love because I think this is what I like to kind of put into stuff. Billman has very much been the guy who's done it and seen it, experienced it all. Cooper's been the guy who's been learning and kind of like, oh, the, you know, the world's changing or whatever. You know, my 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 world, my town. But in this moment, Billman finally has this this uh, time where he's like, holy shit, you know, like what this guy got arrested in newark and he's like you got to be a mook to get arrested in newark you know um and he's a bad guy this guy the house they're about to go to and there's this there's this moment where billman shows vulnerability and cooper comes in and says you know we got it you know we'll take care of it it's all good and i love that because that that's a human moment and i love Mm. human moments i love character development but i love moments where Um, I like a person, it's, it's one of the things I feel like Michael Bay does really well. You see a character, you know what that character is about within 10 seconds. Oh, that's so-and-so. And and he's about this. Now, in some cases, the character development stops (laughs) and you don't see anything else for the next four hours of explosions. But, (laughs) um, but it's like with, uh, I love, though, the fact that how he's able... You see that character and you go through the way he dresses the character, who he casts, how he lights, how he shoots, the dialogue. You get a real clear sense of who that person is. So I love doing that. And I love that moment where you see another side to a character that you maybe haven't seen. And it's believable. You haven't broke that that um, that entertaining realism where you go, what are you talking about? Like, that. that's not... In any way, that character, and you make sure that it is.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit again, clandestine, which is. Uh, I'm,
2: I'm sorry, on. something happened to your mic.
0: You're
1: a little lower.
0: Uh, maybe it's just my voice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, it's getting louder. the diaphragm. Yes. Okay. Chris is go. putting the smooth voice on.
0: Yeah, hey, So, uh, Clandestine, which is uh, now you can see it on Paramount Plus, but it was very much an indie, uh, won a couple awards at the World Fest uh, Houston, um, best crime drama, um, best um, uh, lead actress performance, right? Yep. Um, But let's deep dive a little bit in there for people who want to be indie filmmakers and like, how did you manage this? How did you manage that?
1: And how did you get mm-hmm. Tom Sizemore?
0: Ah, yes. Let's yeah. talk about yeah. that. Yeah, that, that's a great question.
2: Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> yeah, we asked them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's so funny. Um, we I'm just putting some lights on because uh, I noticed my office looks like the Batcave. So, um, but there's anything but, wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but uh. It, um, yeah, we, you know, the funny thing was we always had people tell us, oh, you can't do that. Um, You know, you're not going to be able to do a a theater company. You're not going to be able to do, uh, make your own project. You're not going to be able to do an independent film company. You're not going to be able to make your first movie. Oh, you made your first movie. You're not going to be able to make your second movie. And all right. And we just kept doing it. Um, And, and that's because of a great group of people, you know, that Chris was a part of, um, and You just keep on moving things so when we decided our goal was always we wanted to get someone who is recognizable for clandestine that was our business model, because we realized that would then translate over to distribution, Uh, because no matter how great we may all be. um, Without a name actor most people aren't going to want to watch your film they're just Mm -hmm. they don't care your friends will maybe Um, your family might um but i mean i made clandestine i have friends who still haven't seen it and you know we made that thing in 13 and released it in 16. so
1: you got an address um, on those guys
2: uh i would but we don't have to worry about them anymore they're not around oh okay oh oh (laughs) we took care of that jersey style um okay
1: now, now i got nothing to do but anyway you were saying you were saying
2: um so when it came to that we said well What if we get an attorney and the attorney reaches out to their rep and we say, Hey, we'd like to cast you in our movie. Let us know if you're interested. This is what it's about. This is what we're offering. And, um, and that's what we did. You know, we had an attorney reach out to their reps and then that rep said, sure, let me, we reached out to which you're supposed to only do it to one person at a time. We had a list of 20 people and we sent it to everybody at once. Uh, Robert De Niro's rep sent back a very rude Uh, thing which we said that's fine we have something going to al pacino you know we didn't we didn't give a shit i mean we literally said that to them (laughs) because we know there's there's always been a little like um thing between those those two guys um and um but tom sizemore got back to us right away uh and it was like you know we really think he'd be interested in this because of his past struggles and history and everything Mm. Um, he was
0: building back at that point so
2: yeah he was up on an upswing. I was I was kind of hoping that was where it was going to keep going for him. Um, so, but and, and ironically, when I I that character was not initially in the script to that extent. This councilman or the assemblyman, and I said to Kate, "We really need to get uh, Kate the writer. We need to get a name guy in here. We but let's build this up to something that we could probably afford." So she built it up, and she says, "Well, who are you thinking about?" I said, "I think like a Tom Sizemore." So she wrote it with Sizemore in mind, um, which is really cool. Heat is a film that inspired me to direct, even though I, it came out in like 94 and I hadn't started acting yet. And once I started, I kept saying like, I'd love to be in a movie like Heat. I'd love to be in a movie like Heat. I'd like to direct a movie like Heat. And I just kept on going in that, um, you know, that vein. Um,
0: you could say there's, there's some influence from Heat. In oh, yeah. Thing it is a slow building hot boiler of uh film
2: well yeah and you know what i love about heat and what i love about clandestine and this isn't for every every not everybody enjoys films like that um is that you focus on the characters you focus on the people um and that's what i like to do i i want people to watch a movie and just realize that that character in the film was alive on the screen. They were living, they were breathing, they had their fears and their thoughts. And I think one of the things that cinema can really do uh, when it's done right is help us to um, not see each other as, as different in any way. You know, we are really not different at all. We breathe, we eat, we sleep, we go to sleep. And we have fears and we have hopes and we had a happy mm-hmm. day. We had a nice conversation. We think about something nice that happened or something that's bad happened. We all experience that. And I think what, what film can do is, is help remind us of our humanity when it's done the right way. Yeah. Um, music can do that. Um, books can. But film, I think, does it in a, in a, 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 different, a different way. And um, that was something challenges. I really...
0: For example, you at Sizemore. Mm-hmm for one day yeah how'd you get all that you got out of it in one well
2: day? what we did for that was um had a very clear idea of what kind of character he was supposed to portray in the film and he had a very good clear idea of who he was supposed to be and how he fit into the script um and we finally made the offer to him um we did have uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s reps come back and say he was interested uh, but they wanted to read the script and they wouldn't sign an NDA and we said no um, <laughs> simply because you know Cake actually got on the phone with his attorney um, because they said if you want to talk to us we'd love to talk to you at that point he was I think they were going to make Avengers 2 and he was negotiating to try to get more money for the all the other Avengers actors Um, and he was playing a little hardball with them. I was like, well, I'll just go back to do indies. Um, and then he trashed indies, I think a couple of years later and said, he hates doing indies. It's like, yeah, come and do an indie and, you know, let's have pizza and, you know, whatever. And it'll it'll be great. Um, but at the time he was, he was down for it. And, uh, but, you know, Kate said, you have to realize if we give you the script, um, you could easily make this movie. And we'll never we i mean we could sue you, and you could just hold us up in court forever, um so that's why we need an n d a sign and the he the lawyer came back and said, so we have to realize if Robert signs an n d a and then he makes anything that's even remotely close to what you're doing at some point, then you know you could sue him and make millions of dollars off of off of him so I, it was just something where I said this is getting too complicated you know let's who who just wants to do this who would check in and it was Sizemore's people so um we were going to pay him a certain amount of money um we didn't have that money anymore because we the production was starting to eat some of it up um and then my wife Janine had said um well let's just offer him less <laughs> It's like. <laughs> he's been he's been reaching out to us it was like that far less uh far less important but it's like during the cuban missile crisis when they got the two letters and it was like well we got one letter from khrushchev which was uh, conciliatory and then we got another one that's like you know pounding on the desk rhetoric and then i think bobby kennedy said why don't we just pretend we never got the second letter and just respond to the first letter and everyone was like that's a really simple easy idea um So when Janine mentioned that, I remember where we were up in my living room on the couch, and she's like, "Well, let's just offer him less money," and I was like, "All right, yeah, let's do that." And then we did, and he said, "Yeah, great." And you know, he showed up. I didn't think on the, I did not feel confident he was going to show up until the day he actually showed up. Um, he called me one day. I woke up, I had a message on my phone. I'm like, "What the hell is this three four whatever number?" I listened to the message and I was like, hey, Dave, it's uh, Tom Sizemore. And I was just, oh, I'm really excited about the movie. My agent said, don't call you, but I wanted to call you and talk to you about the part. And I was like, I said, Janine said, who was I? I so oh, Tom Sizemore, Tom just left a message for me. So I'm gonna give Tom a call, um, you know, which was a big deal for us because here we were a bunch of people who had just been always been told that you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. So it was exciting. Um,
0: so you, if I remember there were three setups with Sizemore, right? Three scenes. There's I the think There's the scene with your wife. There's yeah. the... Um, auditorium. Auditorium. Um, nope, there's only the two. There's only the yeah. two. But yeah. um, you had, I don't know, 10 hours or less to get those done. You had to get... We... Uh, there was extras in the auditorium, but the other one was uh, your wife and yeah. Tom. So that, that was just... the the different setups and camera angles Mm -hmm. how do you get those scenes in that limited time what can you tell an indie filmmaker what's the secret what's the advice
2: uh be prepared and have a good cast and have a good crew and have cast the right actors who you know are going to bring it and be prepared and Sizemore was um, he wasn't memorized. My wife and I met him Friday. We shot on a Saturday morning. He wasn't memorized on Friday night. Um, he was memorized Saturday. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> so he didn't um,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, I don't know how he did it because I was like, no, "That guy's not memorized, you know, fuck. And then, um, and then he was, and uh, we also improved once I, we got the script uh, I was like, well, we're paying him a lot of money. I'm going to get Tom Sizemore. So we improved, Um And he, uh, yeah, he did it. He did an, an unbelievable job. Janine did an unbelievable job. The two of them go at it. I mean, I used really intense stuff um, in the movie. And there's stuff that's even more intense that just didn't fit. But we got what we needed for that scene to keep the realism we were trying to create. Um and uh but you you have to plan it. It's like, okay, we're gonna shoot this, we're gonna shoot that. Where we had to make an adjustment to make sure we could fit him in was with the auditorium. We weren't gonna have the extra start showing up. Uh I I'm just gonna I don't remember the exact time, but let's say three o'clock. Uh so we wrapped I knew I gave us um about two hours, two and a half hours to do the office scenes. Um And then I gave us, we broke for a lunch and then I gave us about three, four, five hours to do the auditorium scenes. But I shot all of his stuff first. So there was no audience. Um, It was just him. And then the actors on stage were looking out at the audience at where people would be making Mm -hmm. their statements and Mm -hmm. comments from. Um, And a lot of people. Hmm.
0: Cut to them.
2: Yeah yeah and um uh and i also didn't know you know were people were the extras oh my god that's tom sizemore were they gonna get kind of i didn't think they were because like with most films the majority of the extras are the little Roses. it's my family that show up so um I didn't, a new I, series? yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know again
0: indie filmmaking you use what you have access to yeah you have yeah. access to the
2: Mm mm-hmm yeah Uh, yeah you do yeah yeah. it's true yeah Um, and
1: so i I got a question after he finishes out i just
2: um so that you know you shoot you shoot intelligently you break it down and say well i don't need extra sitting in the audience getting bored well i can just shoot all of his stuff because we don't see them and i can just punch it in later and in fact even then we ran out of time we went back the following week um and I knew I was going to be there. So I didn't shoot any of my close-ups with the character that I was playing. Um, and I didn't shoot all of my wife, Janine's close-ups either or scenes where we interacted. So, and then there's a scene where Chris and I are talking in the back that was shot the following week because there's the audience and Sizemore and everyone on the yeah. stage is never in frame with us. Mm. So we don't need them to be there watching us shoot. Um, and then you you just like one of the things I hate is time Hootie and the Blowfish had that song time that they came out with in the 90s and it's like time uh why do you punish me and what I love about filmmaking is you break time you get to tell time where you want it to be so you break that linear thing so you can film something here and then put it here and just make it make your own timeline um and I I enjoy that so um yeah you you have to plan it out and you have to be organized so that's that's ultimately how we were able to fit him into like a six or seven hour shoot um he showed up he was prepared he was he did a great job all of the actors were prepared all the crew were prepared and you know we we structured out how we were going to do it
0: all right Alex you had a question yeah I do
1: you just you just said some things that and and you planned it out and you worked with it and you made certain decisions um intelligent decisions you know i don't need the audience in this shot with these other characters because i can do this and that with the camera and you also said earlier that you weren't sure if so-and-so was going to show up until that person was there Mm -hmm. did you have any circumstances where what you planned did not go that way and if so what was your thinking at that moment
2: Well, there's definitely been instances with all of the projects where something didn't go exactly how I wanted. I would say for Clandestine, though, since that was the most recent, there's a scene that takes place where we're searching through this house at night, which was Chris's house. Um, Same night that the drunk driver smashed into... Actually, no, we went back back and filmed later. um, Because after that night, we just kind of wrapped up. Um, That scene... (sighs) i had i had something in my head it's a good scene um but i don't feel like i captured what i wanted and i don't know why i still don't know why i think about it a lot um and when i, I thought well all right i'll i'll make it work with music um and i i drove the music guy crazy because i was like uh man eh, still not working i think he did several different tracks for that um and then i it was it was a long scene. I just kept on cutting it down and cutting it down and cutting it down. And there's moments of it that I like, but I don't feel like I nailed what i I had in my head. so that scene that scene's never worked for me like I wanted it to, and i I still it might just be a there's some scenes that work on paper, um, and then when you try to make them practically, they don't work uh for whatever the reason and that just Mm -hmm. might be one of those scenes it's it's works on paper I know what Kate the writer based it off of um and it was spooky but it didn't come across that way in Mm -hmm. the in the moment so uh I don't think I don't know I mean I had when we did audience testing we had some people say oh I don't like that scene that scene was too long so I trimmed it down um, I don't think it's a horror. It's not a horrible scene. It just didn't fit. Yeah. What I wanted. So Chris, yeah.
0: Uh, I, actually waving to the dog, the dog. Oh, so, okay. Like, I thought you had you something to comment on. Uh, uh, well, I, well, I do want to comment. I want to segue to a scene that, uh, that works extraordinarily well. And part of it is the music, but also part of it is, and I want to talk to you about the challenge of directing and again, indie, it's the um, there's a scene where the Kate, Kate's character gets hellaciously beaten mm. by this huge dangerous guy and it leads up to a battle between him and you and, and Nick's character um, mm. so let's talk about action and violence in an independent film you know, uh, safety first uh, how do you get and of course the music adds a lot to it. Yes. But let's yeah. talk about the shooting first. How do you go about safely shooting the kind of intense violence that you see in clandestine?
1: And by the way, he means filming, not shooting bang, bang. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, once again, you plan, uh, you know, um, you plan it out. You don't take any stupid risks. Yeah. Um, I think that's another, I know uh, a guy who was asked to be a producer on that movie Rust with Alec Baldwin, the infamous film at this point. And he said, no. Um, and I remember talking to him before all that happened. I said, that's interesting. Why did you say no? And he says, I don't like anybody on the set. Um, I, you know, or not anybody, I don't like some of the people involved in the production because I know they don't, they're not, they're not good planners. Um, mm. and when that happened, I sent him a thing, and I said, "What well, was Russ the film that you said no to with Baldwin?" And he was like, "Yeah." Um, so, I, and I said, "Well, congratulations, you know, for not doing that and for the horror that happened." So, um,
0: so did you do storyboards for the yeah. uh, the two fights?
2: I storyboarded it. I yeah, also can, gave my they, hmm.
0: They can be just little drawings, you know. We don't have they to can have be big prod, uh, uh, big expensive productions on storyboards.
2: No, and the whole thing, that fight wasn't in the original script. So I said to Kate, listen, we we have this thing going, this burn happening, and there's no, I feel there needs to be a payoff for the audience. But also for me, my favorite movie of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, And I love the airplane fight, and I Mm. love the truck fight. The reason being. Truck fight, yeah. Yeah spielberg and lucas and harrison ford have been building and making you invest in this guy in this character of indiana jones indiana jones now is a whether intentionally or unintentionally by him is now uh, like an avenging angel of god <laughs> he is here to save the world he doesn't know it but that's ultimately what he's he's a man rising to a challenge um, and that truck scene is all about character development, his determination, his, sh- his sheer grit and determination to save the world, to make sure evil doesn't prevail. And he, does, he gets shot, he gets all these things. When he gets the shit kicked out of him and he gets thrown out the window, this guy will not let go. Well, I'm going to hook my whip and I'm going to crawl back up. It's an analogy for life when life's beating you down too. He gets back up on that truck and then he loses it on the German <laughs> soldier guy, which I always laugh at because it's not enough to just punch him. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to bang your head into the dashboard like a hundred times. But it was all done with the character development because you said to yourself, this guy is now, He's he is now surpassed what his initial intention was. He's now on a crusade um but they built the story and the character up to that so for our fighting clandestine is nowhere near that but i said to kate i want to put in a fight scene and it has to be about character development it's character development for McEnroe, it's character development for cooper the two leads um it's character development for billman when he busts through the door that's right you used
0: me as a special effect
2: yes we did um (laughs) and it was character development for kate's character where she she takes a beating to try to do something good and save somebody Mm, um so i feel fight scenes if they aren't serving the purpose of developing your character and you're not seeing aspects of your character that you haven't seen before then they're worthless they shouldn't be in the film um so when you're planning that stuff out you're keeping that in mind um as far as the actual physical aspect of it, so that nobody gets hurt, um, a lot of that's done just with with planning and camera angles. Um, if someone's getting punched, um, because it, we're not dealing with a three dimensional image, it's a two dimensional image. If you have, if you look at those punches, it's it, it's a cutaway or it's behind, so you can have. You know, I'm trying to do it in the. You know, the, it's not going to work, trying because of the perspective. But mm. um, you know, it's just how you frame it so that the punch. Meanwhile, the punch was like ten inches away from the person, but the camera doesn't know that. And the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I'm not yeah. actually
1: hitting my hand. Nope. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But exactly. now, if if your hand's
2: going like this, <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a there's a scene exactly. Yeah. Yeah, my wife and I do this really funny and disturbing joke sometimes in the car. Uh, We'll pretend we're arguing and I'm driving and she's in the passenger seat and I'll just like sit there and I'll go like this. So for the person in the in the back uh, looking at us and I'll just go and I'll pretend I hit her and then she'll like sell it and she'll go up against the window. And we did it one time and this person like pulled alongside and was like, you know, staring at us and we're laughing because we thought it was hysterical. (laughs) um you know oh, but it's it's like a forced perspective yeah. thing i'm not even close to her i would never even get right. close to her you know because yeah, you know she um, could take you out yeah well so, yeah she would think she would kill me
0: so let's talk about having shot it and having been saved mm-hmm. uh, and in post-production because we have to talk about the reality of post-production so many people think that making a movie is being on set shooting scenes and then you know, going to have, uh, celebrate, you know, with a pizza or something, but that's just one third of the production. All right. There's the pre-production and the planning and the rewriting and then there's the shooting and then there's the post. Let's talk about just before we leave these fight scenes from the rough cut to adding the music, Mm -hmm. how much more effective did it become
2: when the music was added? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, It was a lot because music is like the salt that you put on your steak. You know, it just flavors it and brings out um, the emotion you were going for. Um, And that I had given the composer music from uh, the Dark Knight called The Fire Rises, I think, or something like that. And it was just this, you know, intense. Um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was Man of Steel um, uh, when he's on, on the oil rig. Um, and it was just this drum. boom, boom, And I remember I said to the composer, I want battle drums. You know, like this is this is these characters. <sighs> character development is them trying to save this town. Cooper's starting to turn and become a little darker and McEnroe is starting to turn and become a little bit softer. These guys are always in orbit around each other. They're never going to be on the same plane at the same time. Um, and, um, but I wanted battle, battle, battle drums. And so he came up with something. It wasn't to the level of battle drums that I wanted, but that's where sometimes you, you have a, you know, good crew. My wife always helps in post and, uh, you know, she's like, you know, you're running the risk of it being too over the top with the battle drums. So, you know, I think you're good with what you have. And I said, all right. So, um, but the music adds a lot to it because then it can, it can highlight, uh, moments of tension, you know, um, it just, it kind of brings the whole thing, uh, whole thing together, I think into sometimes a cohesive, a cohesive moment,
1: you know, I have to say the dynamics. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that fight scene was good even without music. I had oh, thought yeah. briefly about just not having any music and just going without any. Um, but yeah, as I looked at it, I'm like, nah, you know what? You you need an adrenaline moment for the audience, and the, the music makes that happen. Um, and it really just kind of brings it together. It ups and the again, stakes.
0: We get to that level, three or four movies, into your um, development where... Yeah. There's enough of the budget to hire that person. Yep. Um, let's talk about post production, because that's where discipline really comes into play. Can you yeah. talk to potential indie filmmakers about the realities of post production?
2: Um, yeah. Post production. Is enjoyable and horrible at the same time. <laughs> so, if you want to experience duality, um, get ready for post production. So, uh, you know, that's like you're married and then you have your first fight. So, um, post production, a lot of people don't budget for post production. So, they make their movie and then they don't have any money for post. Mm. Um, almost everybody does it. You're not supposed to do it, but the realities of in the, in the independent world, I mean, we're probably going to be doing that for our next movie. Cause I know how much post is going to cost. So we'll be saving money and trying to raise money for the post because I want to put as much into the actual film as possible. Um, but, you know, post is a lot of time. It's, I think I edited clandestine in, four months five months i had a rough cut um and but you add a computer for 12 hours a day you know sometimes longer a lot of times uh i'd wake up the sun came up or you know just come up and i started editing um and then the sun went down and started to come up again and i wrapped up you know yeah. m- and maybe finished a scene um and then creating doing the editing is fun however the technical aspects of it suck uh mm. when it comes to <laughs> you have to encode the you know make sure it's encoded correctly and that you bringing the footage into the editing program and it's it's in a uh, a format that the uh, editing um program likes otherwise you're not going to have as nice of an image and you know you have a take you love uh but in that moment that was the one time that um the cameraman sneezed you know and you go, oh my god you know um so there's a lot of that stuff that goes on but you just have to accept it you you know you have to be very accepting in post um and still have a focus on what you are trying to accomplish um i there are elements of post i hate i hate color correction and i hate sound so i don't do those (laughs) so um I, i i really do hate them um I hate sound mixing. I love, I love laying in the music though, the score. Um, I I think I told Chris, I don't remember if I did, but when I, I edited clandestine in order um, because I felt like that would give me a better idea of how the film needed to flow instead of picking a scene and going all over the place. Mm -hmm. So when I edited the final scene where all we basically say goodbye to all the characters, um, I, I, it was late in the, well, it was, I think it was like five in the morning. I laid in the track we used, um, and I watched it and I remember I, I started to cry because I was like, I said, everyone did such a beautiful job on this movie. I, I and it wasn't like a thing, look what I've made, you know, I, I wasn't about me. It was look at what all of these people did to make this from all these different, you know, um, places they came from to this point, experiences we had while we made it, um, and it was emo- and I had never had that experience before. It was very emotional, um, and that happened when I put in that 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 temp track, and, and I just looked at everything. Um, so, but the post is I find we you have to hire. We don't have to. Some people don't, but you do need to hire. Um, for the next movie, I'm just going to do a rough cut, and then we're giving it to an editor because I don't want to do all that again. Um, I don't <laughs> have the time either. Um, progress, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't have the time. Back then, um, I was doing editing. The guy I worked with was I worked for was not a good guy. His business got shut down by the by the state, um, and uh, he had fired me kind of uh, and then didn't wanted me to come back and not pay me to do other things so i got basically got unemployment so i got paid to edit the movie there you uh, go. that's the way yeah so it worked out um you know happy the happy accidents you know those happy things um so i had the time to do it i don't have the time to do it now so yeah you'd have to you have to hire somebody you know okay
0: last stage. question for me mm-hmm. after all of this from Eight, I got this idea or, or you two talking to the drafts of the script and then pre-production and then the shooting and then the post-production and laying in that. And all of that. Can you talk about the emotional experience of one finally seeing the finished product in front of an audience?
3: Mm-hmm. And then
0: the experience of uh, winning awards and acclamation at Worldfest? We're going to try,
2: we're trying to leave these people with some hope, Dave. Um, Well, first off, don't do it for an award because you will, chances of you getting one, you have to make movies because you want to make movies. It all goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, which is that it's, it's just something that's constantly in you. It constantly, you know, that Moby Dick, um, you know it's is there and you will you know blast yourself upon it um if you get the awards great I never cared about awards I cared about distribution um I cared about getting the film seen so it wasn't just on my shelf because we had our other films that I liked that were on our shelves and got into festivals but they didn't get anywhere near clandestines level of success so um So that's, that's the big thing is don't do it for the award. Um, It's, it's a very, I mean, we audience tested the movie so many, I think five times. So by the time it was done and I showed it to an audience, I felt good about it. Um, And we also gave it to some difficult people. I mean, I, I got my, my master's degree from Fordham with social work. So I kind of knew what they were about. Um, and we went and we showed the film you know to them. Um, and you know they were uh, I knew they could be potentially very critical. Um, you know, and they they weren't they liked it. There was a couple of people who were critical. Um, but they you know they enjoyed the film. So I liked that and that made me feel good. I think the the most when we did Lockload Love and we had that viewing, that was, I, I, that blew me away. Um, you know, we, we did it in the basement of some bar and it was
0: um, the alcohol that really helped. <laughs> yeah. It,
2: it primed the pump a bit. Um, yeah. but you know, we were over capacity, I think by like 60 people, um, it was standing room only. And you heard people laugh for an hour and 40 some odd minutes. And then when we did Nikki Newark and we did that premiere, that was our first like narrative story first narrative story i had directed and you had people laugh at all the right moments um and i was like holy crap like that's that's unbelievable so clandestine was our first just straight hard drama um and you are looking for something else you want people to get pulled into it um and the audience testing helped you know, did you feel this? Did you feel that? I also, I have like a a group of people that I showed the movie to a bunch of times and got a lot of feedback from them, um, before I even started showing it to strangers. So, um, that helped. Um, and you know, you, you get the feel of, um, am I telling the story that I want to tell? Am Mm. I staying on track? Uh, and then if people hate you, because on, I mean, clandestine has been an interesting experience. It got released on a bunch of platforms. One of them being Amazon prime and Amazon prime and IMDb will attract anybody that you have ever pissed off at any time in your life. (laughs) And they will go to there and they will butcher you as sometimes call for you to be shot as someone did with me. Um, and they just, you know, so, I thought, well, man, I mean, I don't know what happened. I thought we made a good movie. And then I'm looking at the scores and I'm looking at the comments and I'm like, we're getting killed. And then I start to realize, you know, some of these people are mentioning some interesting things. I think they know us um, or know me. And um, so I just started to disregard those and where I really felt the fact that the film got on Paramount Plus was huge for me because I can go look at my list. And paramount plus and i can look at all of the star trek films that i grew up on which inspired me i can look at uh raiders of the lost ark my favorite movie um i can look at uh the godfathers and then i can see clandestine which i happen to put right in the middle of all of them so you know i say to myself well we made something that paramount plus wanted on their platform Mm -hmm. um and then i'll tell you what's been extremely impactful um the the distributors have a uh on youtube they have a channel called popcorn flicks and on popcorn flicks that films on it's edited which i'm not crazy about so there's a lot of dialogues missing because they take out the f word um and some other moments but it has i think it's 180,000 views. It has almost 300 comments, which I would say 98% are positive. And it has uh, over 1300 thumbs up. So I was like, that's the real shit, you know, not this weighted average crap that IMDb and Amazon like to do. These are real people who don't know me, don't know any of us in the production, who are just seeing this movie and then saying, oh, my God, I cried my brother went through this my sister went through this I went through this which is what I got from one person I started commenting on there and telling people like hey you know if any I'm more than happy to answer questions um because I was so moved by what a lot of people were saying uh just the fact that the film impacted them which is ultimately why you're making it you know you want it to impact people so
0: there's the Sergeant Billman uh groupies there (laughs) on
2: They're they're a crazy lot. They're very it's hard, hard to keep down, here, but <laughs> they travel. They travel a all over. There, okay. <laughs>
1: uh, well, actually, I, I'm I'm going to bring bring it to a close uh, because we we've been at this for two hours and it's been great. It's, it's oh great. And I would love to love to love to love to love to have you come back because I yeah, know absolutely. there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, and I and I really appreciate the 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 authenticity and the honesty and the transparency of your of your recollections you know that you you've taken us into your head in a number of places where other people might have just talked about certain specifics of like you know the whole Sizemore experience you could have talked about Tom Sizemore well, oh, it's Tom Sizemore and then we got Tom Sizemore but it was really Tom Sizemore as as a professional within the context of putting the film together and mm. it's clear that the film was what that was all about, was the quality of the film, and he was adding to that quality. So I think yeah. that's really important. And the other thing I'll say is um, I teach, uh, for those of you who don't know this, I teach uh, screenwriting at the New York Film Academy. So I'm constantly working with students who are, and the age range can be from 16 to 60, um, but a lot of them have that one thing in common, I want to make movies. I, I've mm. never made movies or I made a couple of little movies or I, I, I've got these ideas or whatever. And they're in that whirling dervish of what do I do first? What do I do next? And yeah. I think this, is, um, this has really been uh, a great uh, piece to introduce some concepts and some thought processes to them. Uh, and I will certainly be sharing it with them, I, I assure you. So thank no, you, thank you for for everything. I really appreciate it. I like. Oh, Chris it's my too. pleasure. He's okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He does good. He, he does, does good, good stuff. Yeah. I, I got to no, say, I,
1: folks, you should see the movie. You should, you know, please go to Paramount uh, Plus and check it out. Not only, not only for the quality of the film, not only so that you can say, yeah, well, Dave LaRosa was 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 telling the truth about this, but the one thing that's been played down absolutely throughout this entire two-hour piece was that my buddy, Chris, was like seriously on camera. I mean, it's not like a little walk-on, walk-off, okay? (laughs) Chris is there as a solid character, and you get to see him, and he picked up a little award too. So please, please take some time to go check out this film. It is definitely worth it.
2: Yeah, no, Chris did an amazing job. He really did, and a huge part in the film, and uh, contributed to those tears that I had at the end and his final scene in the movie, so um yeah it was beautiful so no i appreciate that's, it guys I, I really do i appreciate yeah. being asked to be on and you guys have been a pleasure to talk to
1: well it's good and come on thank back at some much. point please chris, i definitely
2: will
3: what, dave, what, what do we say
0: it's always good to spend time with you
1: dave uh, same here yeah and it's always good to spend time with you chris and thank you dave now that, you that i've met you, you. you're, you're going to be bothered by me at least a couple more times cool much so we'll for me i'll we'll <laughs> we'll never get
3: rid of him. i apologize <laughs> dave
1: by the way, I, I like what you did in the background there, Chris. I was I sort of pointed that in the trying. earlier part of the show. Yeah. We're We're, what show are we on now? Tell the Tell damn the story. story. There okay. go. Take care, right, Chris. Everybody. Take care, Dave. Peace. We'll see you soon. Take care, everybody.
2: Yeah. All right. Thank you.